Well, hi, everybody. How are we? Doing good? It's great to see you. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you for joining us online. Um, if we have not had a chance to meet, hi, uh, I'm Mackenzie. I direct connection here at Timberline, meaning I get to work with our small groups, um, our small group leaders, and anyone who comes to our community and is new and is looking for ways to participate here. Um, it's my job to help you have the easiest on-ramps to do so. So if you fill out one of those connection cards, either that physical one or the one online, um, that comes to me. I am married to our student ministries pastor, Justin Matthews. People call him J-Matt. Um, I have a little kid. He's one and a half. His name is Powell. I have a cute family photo because, of course, I'd bring that for you. Of course you want to see that, right? Here's our cute little family at the pumpkin patch a couple weeks ago. I know. Oh, thank you. I know. I think that too. He's a cutie. That's a little bit about me. Um, like Carrie shared, we're continuing our series today, Living Whole in a Fractured World, all about the letter James. Now, James is a short little book in the New Testament near the end of your Bible. You really could read it all in one sitting, depending on how fast you read. You could probably read it all in about 20 minutes, but it's a packed little book, challenging and practical. James is the author. He's the half-brother of Jesus who didn't subscribe to Jesus's leadership or ministry during his life. It wasn't until after Jesus's resurrection that we see James come to faith and take a position of leadership in the early church. He was a pillar and a peacemaker until he was killed shortly after writing this letter. Now, James speaks like a coach, maybe a bit of an intense one. Have you ever had an intense coach. I played sports growing up, volleyball, soccer, tennis. I have some vivid memories of some coaches and their intensity. Some that was positive. It was like motivating and challenging. Um, some not so positive, a little scary. Maybe you have something similar. You have memories of that coach in a sport that you played, or maybe for you, you think of your piano instructor who was always correct in that posture, right? Or maybe um, it was a teacher who motivated you to do your best. Good coaches make us better, right? James, the coach, he's in our business. He's challenging how we live, pushing and activating, pointing to what genuine faith does and does not look like. This entire series really is about wholeness, this idea of living completely integrated meaning that our actions are consistent with our values and beliefs. Our actions consistent with our values and beliefs, which is a struggle. We're all more inconsistent than we wish we were, aren't we? I care about safe driving. I hold all of you to a safe driving standard. Yes, I do. But if I'm in a hurry, I go a little fast, right? Or I preach to my husband about the negligent sin that is leaving the cabinets open in the kitchen. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you do this. So I'm telling you about this and I look back to see, it was me, oh, no, I was the one who left the cabinets open, right? Now those are silly examples, but we do this. We struggle to live integrated, holding competing desires and motivations. We wanna be accepted by others, but we wanna maintain our individuality. We want to save money while enjoying the things that money buy. We want to launch something new, but we don't want to risk failure. We want to go to the gym, but we also want to relax, right? 
Or more seriously, as we see in scripture from Jesus in Matthew 15, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We're all more inconsistent than we wish we were. And even still, God is restoring and transforming us to be integrated, becoming whole, living whole in a fractured world. That is what this series is rubbing up against. Last weekend and this weekend, we're really talking about two sides to the same coin that James presses hard in this letter, how we value and treat people based on their status. Pastor Donnie, in his message last weekend, shared about the idea of favoritism or partiality, that is, unfair bias or favor, the tendency we have to look at a room and seek out the shiny stars, if you will, the attractive, the wealthy, the influential, the desire to rub shoulders with the important people or celebrities, right? We treat them differently. We want to impress them, right? Who do you do that with? Do you notice yourself doing that, acting different? The other side of this coin is for those who are not the, quote, shiny stars, for those without the money or the influence, the ordinary people who some might believe can't offer you anything. The forgotten about, the last picked on the team, the unsuspecting ones or the overlooked. Who are they for you? In Leviticus 19, 15, it says, do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. And the verse we'll come back to throughout today, James 1.27 said, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Today's message is titled, Whole People Overlook No One, because no one is overlooked in the kingdom of God. No one is overlooked in the kingdom of God. We are all seen. We all stand with equal value before him. But people are overlooked all the time and in our world and in our culture. So if you are following along today on our app, if you're just taking notes, the first point is really a question. It's who is overlooked? Who's overlooked? Who does culture overlook? I think we could guess at some regularly overlooked people in society today. We might say uh, the elderly, homeless, mentally ill, people filling menial jobs, drug addicts, um, the isolated, the sick, the unimpressive, children or adults with disabilities, the unemployed, the immigrant, the teen mom, the inmate, the kid that just aged out of foster care, or the person who's just fine, just fine. I think there are many people who are overlooked today. Who comes to mind for you? In James 1, when he gives us a picture of pure religion, our worship, the heart God is looking for from us, James emphasizes right off the bat, orphans and widows. They were overlooked. Orphans and widows were some of the poorest and most vulnerable people in the first century. And he says we are to look after orphans and widows in their distress. In many parts of scripture, we are urged to care for the neediest members of society, not in a passive way, but rather a really engaged and compassionate way. Not lip service, but present, attentive care. God himself is described as a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows in Psalm 68. 
And for those of us following him, those of us Christians in the room today, we as his people are to imitate his action and his heart. It says in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 1, 17, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. All active things, <laughs> learn, seek, defend, take up the cause, plead the case, all on behalf of the most vulnerable. Now we take this call seriously. We're always looking for ways to stand in the gap for the vulnerable. Welcome Child is Timberline Church's ministry that's all about advocating for at-risk children, youth, and families. We do this by working with foster, adoptive, and kinship families in northern Colorado. We have a dedicated weekend specifically for orphan care every year. And many of you have made incredible impact through partnering with us. From filling backpacks to back to school, you guys might remember that. We had hundreds of backpacks up this year to mentoring kids. We've watched some of you become CASAs for our county, that is court-appointed special advocates for children. Some of you write encouragement to parents who are fostering. We send those with gifts every quarter to families in our area. These are one of examples of some of the gifts that we have sent recently. Together, we advocate for orphans in our community. This is not new to our heart as a church. And I would ask that you'd continue to partner and specifically to pray for the orphan work that's being done here, um, specifically for Royal Family Kids Camp. That is the summer camp that runs in the summer for kids ages 5 to 12 who are in the foster care system. Please pray for them and for our camp in 2022. And pray for our county workers in this time. Their job has never been tougher than it is right now, and they need our prayer and our support right now. We have a table today near our northeast entrance. We call it our mall area, um, where you can learn about what we're doing to care for orphans and ways that you can be a part of it. And if you're watching online, I encourage you to email missions at timberlinechurch.org. And if you're here and you're fostering, adopting, or considering fostering or adopting, um, we would just love to know you. Please let us meet you and hear what you need. We really want to come around you and support you. Point two today in your outline, pure religion is both purity of action and purity of heart. Purity of action and purity of heart. There are two parts in this verse, and I want to break it down bit by bit. Um, it starts out saying, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. Interesting, right? Pure and faultless religion. <laughs> The word here for religion in the Greek is thres kia. It appears only four times in the New Testament, and two of those occurrences are here. The word is an interesting one. The emphasis is not on religious ritual, which is maybe what we think of when we think of the word religion. It's not so much on ritual, but on living, which comes back to the theme, living whole, integrated, our conduct consistent with our values, and beliefs. Remember James the coach in our corner is calling us out, pushing what genuine faith looks like lived out. The worship and heart God desires from us, James says, has two characteristics, an external thing and an internal thing. The external, this purity of action, our conduct, 
to care for the poor and the helpless, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, right? And then the internal thing, purity of heart, our character, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What does that mean? What does that look like? The tricky part of this, or maybe the convicting part, is that none of you really know my heart. You can't see it as obviously as you see what I do, or what I choose to present, or share, or let someone into. We can't see the inner thought life of someone else. We can't know someone's motivations or intentions. We don't know the truest inner workings of each other. God does. God sees the heart. God knows the truest, deepest us. Worst parts and all. In Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 16, it says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Scripture has a bunch to say about our hearts, about our internal world, if you will. That is, our thought life, our emotional health, our attitude, our mental health, all of it really, really matters. Or it says in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. You know, my small group with some of my college friends last year, we read a book called Why Emotions Matter by Tristan and Jonathan Collins. Um, I may have referenced it up here before. It's a big green light, big green light for me, highly recommend. We had great conversation around it. The whole book is about emotional health and embodied spirituality, but this is what they say about our thought world. They say, many of us think of thoughts as uncontrollable. We believe we can choose what thoughts we speak aloud or act upon, but we don't think we can actually control the thoughts themselves. To a limited extent, this is true. Thoughts pop into our minds all the time without asking permission. But notice, we said limited extent. You might not have control over which thoughts appear randomly in your mind, but you do have control over where your thought train goes from there. You also have control over the kind of thought environment you build and encourage within your mind. You have control over the beliefs you choose to embrace and the beliefs you challenge. How's your thought train? right? What does your thought environment look like? I would suggest this has a whole lot to do with the renewing of the mind that we're charged to do in Romans 12. The building of your thought environment is so important. For those of us following the ways of Jesus, both things, external and internal, our conduct and our character, our patterns of action and our patterns of attitude should look different, distinctly different from the culture at large. How do we keep from being polluted or conformed to the world? Well, I'd ask, what are we consuming? What are we feeding our minds with? And how is our self-control? One of my biggest prayers for my son, Powell, is for self-control. All of my fears and all of my hopes for his life come back to self-control. In his relationships, in his work, how he'll care for his body, for his finances someday, his dreams, the way he navigates the hard stuff and the good stuff of life, and all of it, He'll need self-control. It's a regular, consistent prayer that I pray for him and for myself. 
and for you. In our world of self-indulgence and self-fulfillment, to be self-controlled in character and conduct. Pure religion is both purity of action and purity of heart. The third point today is God's kingdom comes with a different value system. God's kingdom comes with a different value system. When Jesus hit the scene, the thing he talked about the most was this idea of the kingdom of God. The Jewish people had been waiting, anticipating a new kingdom, that a Messiah, a Savior would come and he'd restore what was broken. Similarly to the way we see Moses delivered the people Israel from oppression and bondage in Egypt. Or we see Elijah have a showdown with political powers at Mount Carmel. Messiah would come and he would overthrow the impressive government and restore their glory. They were looking for and eagerly anticipating a conquest, a political leader. And Jesus came and the kingdom he brought was those things, but it's not how they were expecting it at all. I've heard the kingdom of God described as an upside down kingdom because kingdom, how we understand it, has the royals at the top, right? The king being served, power and glory looking shiny with prestige, And the kingdom Jesus rules, well, he's the great servant. He's the king who sacrifices all. He describes greatness and glory to his followers using children who are a waste of time in this culture, washing feet, touching the untouchable, associating with the stigmatized. He did conquer He is glorious, but how he came to it was different than what they thought. The means by which he came to his glorious kingdom was not by violence or conquest, but by servanthood and humility. God's kingdom comes with a different value system. My son Powell is getting to the age where he loves story time, loves it. He can flip through the pages faster than mama can read. And some books are so good that they're really for the big, they're for me, right? They're for us big kids more so than for him. And there's a story I want to read if you could, and I think we're going to have some friends come and join us. Do you guys want to come on this stage? Why don't you come up on the stage? It's fun up here. Yeah. Come on over here. We'll have you come. We can have you sit right here. Very good. Hi. How does it feel? Good. Great. You can come sit right here. Find a nice good spot. Not too close to the edge. That'd be nice, thanks. That'd be good. Perfect. Can you guys all see okay? Okay, this book is called You Are Special by Max Lucado. Really good illustrations by a guy named Sergio Martinez. It's really good, and it really illustrates what the big kids have been talking about in here, okay? All right, let's kick it off. Illustrations will be on the screen for you big kids out there as well, so you can follow along. Okay, can you guys see okay? All right. The Wemmicks were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by a woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Can you guys see it? You can see his house? Very good. Each Wemmick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes. Some were tall and others were short. Some wore hats, others wore coats, but all were made by the same carver and lived in the village. All day, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of golden star stickers and a box of gray dot stickers. 
Up and down the streets, all over the city, people spent their days sticking stars and dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, always got stars. But if the wood was rough or the paint was chipped, the Wemmicks gave dots. You guys see the stars and dots? Yeah. You see them? Good. The talented ones got stars too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Still others knew big words or could sing pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some Wemmicks had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel so good. It made them want to do something else to get another star. Others, though, could do little. They got dots. Do you see the guy with the dots in there? You see him? Yeah. The guy has dots in the corner. Yeah. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but all, he always fell. And when he fell, the others would gather around and give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched, so the people would give him more dots. Then he would try to explain why he fell, and he would say something silly, and the Wemmicks would give him more dots. After a while, he had so many dots that he didn't want to go outside. He was afraid he would do something dumb, such as forget his hat or step in the water, and then people would give him another dot. In fact, he had so many gray dots that some people would just come up and give him a dot for no reason at all. He deserved lots of dots, the wooden people would agree with one another. He is not a good wooden person. After a while, Punchinello believed them. I'm not a good Wemmick, he would say. The few times he went outside, he hung around other Wemmicks who had lots of dots. He felt better around them. One day, he met a Wemmick who was unlike any he'd ever met. She had no dots or stars. She was just wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers, it's that the stickers didn't stick. Some of the Wemmicks admired Lucia for having no dots, so they would run up and give her a star, but it would fall off. Others would look down on her for having no stars, so they would give her a dot, but it wouldn't stay either. Because see that? She didn't have any. Huh. That's the way I want to be, thought Puccinello. I don't want anyone's marks. So he asked the stickerless Wemmick how she did it. It's easy, Lucia replied. Every day I go see Eli. Eli? Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in the workshop with him. Why? Why don't you go find out for yourself? Go up on the hill, he's there. And with that, the Wemmick who had no stickers turned and skipped away. But will he want to see me? Punchinello cried out, but Lucia didn't hear. So Punchinello went home. He sat near a window and watched the wooden people as they scurried around, giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself, and he decided to go see Eli. He walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into the big shop. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. The stool was as tall as he was. He had to stretch on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard, I am not staying here, and he turned to leave. And then he heard his name. Punchinello? The voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come and let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large, bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little Wemmick asked. Of course I do, I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up. 
and set him on the bench. Hmm, the maker spoke thoughtfully as he looked at the gray dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I tried really hard. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No, and neither should you. Who are they to give stars or dots? They're Wemmicks, just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think, and I think you're pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me, special. Why? I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello, put his hands on those small wooden shoulders, and spoke really slowly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punchinello. I know she told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? And the maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. Oh, I'm not sure I understand. <laughs> Eli smiled. You will, but it'll take time. You've got a lot of marks. For now, just come see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as the Wemmick walked out the door, you are special because I made you, and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart, he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. Do you guys see the dot that fell? Yeah. You see it? And that is the end of the story. Isn't that good? Yes. Good job. Thank you guys for coming and having story time with me. You did so great. I think Mr. Felix is going to take you guys back now. But thank you guys. Can, we, can you guys give him a hand, or a round of applause? You guys can get up. <laughs> it's pretty fun on the stage, huh? It's not bad up here. Yeah. Good lighting. Yeah. Okay, you guys can keep going. Thank you. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? Sweet on multiple levels. Well, you guys did great. But the story, the story is so good. And it illustrates this idea, this point. God's kingdom comes with a different value system. The thing is, it's so stinking easy to subscribe to the dots, the dots and the stars for ourselves and for the people we interact with. Or maybe you might think like, yes, I'm happy to let go of all my hard stuff, all my dots, if you will. Like take the shame, the fear, the pain, the mistakes, forgiveness, like I'd love that, I need that. But I'm actually not so sure that I'm all that valuable without the stars, with the good stuff. I'm like not really, not quite ready to hand those over. This is a lot to do with our identity. Our identity being rooted in and secure in Christ means that we're not valued by what we do. We're not valued by who we know. We're not valued by what we've done. We're more than our worst moments. 
were more than our biggest victories. Your identity being truly rooted in who God says that you are means you really don't have anything to prove, actually, or earn. You're delighted in by God as you are. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any more than he does right now. It almost feels too good to be true, right? This is the good news of the gospel. The gospel is this, as Tim Keller says, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. What would be different for us if we were people who first knew and believed in our bellies and in our bones that it's not our stars or our dots that define us, that define our identity, but our inherent value as children of God, that what God says would carry the loudest voices, the loudest weight in our lives, to believe it for ourselves first, and then to be like the Lucias in the story who give it away. God's kingdom comes with a different value system. So who is overlooked? No one is overlooked in the kingdom of God. But who might God be having you engage with and see? Several years ago, we had a woman in our church. Um, she got invited to a small group by a friend. Let's call her Maddie. Maddie would say that Jesus was not a factor in her life at all. <laughs> she joined this small group because her friend invited her to. She was terrified to be a part of it. She'd never done a Bible study, didn't know anything about the Bible, and was actually quite nervous around Christians. She wondered, are they going to try to convert me? <laughs> what if they're judgmental? But then she said later, it was in this small group where she learned the most about this Jesus, not just by studying the Bible, but also from seeing the pure way that the group loved others. She said she'd never met a group that was more generous or supportive. That year had been the most challenging year of her life. Her husband was injured in a car accident or he was unable to work and really unable to function. He was struggling and broken in every way. She said the impact on her family was devastating. She was alone and helpless. And this is what she wrote. She said, at one point, I found the time to ask for prayer from the group, the thing you do, right? And they prayed and they fed us. They walked our dog. They cleaned our house. They mowed our lawn. They brought us groceries. They provided respite so I could have a much needed break from caregiving. They provided financial support, sent us gift cards, visited us, showered us with supportive messages, all while they were still praying. They wrapped their arms around us and carried us through our darkest days. I've never felt such unconditional love and support, she said. It's changed me, strengthened my faith in the most profound way. The way they just showed up and took care of us was proof that God sends us what we need, even when we are too overwhelmed to know what we need. And then she said, and darn it, they did convert me. <laughs> Here's a challenge for you, challenge for us. You might ask God, who is someone in your sphere, in your orbit, 
that he might have you notice, that he might have you see. Maybe start with prayer. Say, God, help me to see one person. Lead me. Show me someone. And then ask, what could I do? What could I do? He might show you someone totally surprising. And I want to encourage you here really not to try to force this, but really open yourself and ask God to reveal someone to you. Let the Holy Spirit prompt that for you. No one is overlooked in the kingdom. Let's pray together. God, we are moved by your love and by your grace that would see us. Despite knowing our hearts, knowing our truest selves, that you see us and you love us, your grace, it's, it's crazy. It's wild grace. And we are grateful. We receive that right now. We receive your delight and your love for us through Christ Jesus right now. Thank you, God. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who feels overlooked right now, either by society or even by you. And God, I pray that they would feel seen, known, and loved by you in the way only you can. Holy Spirit, we ask for that. And we pray that that we would be people who believe that we are valuable because you say that we are. That we would release, even hand to you right now, the stars or dots that we carry. We give them to you. Would you help us to believe what you say about us? that that would carry the loudest weight in our hearts, in our minds. Might that be true? And God, even now we open ourselves. Who might you show us? Who might you have us see? Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind people and would you give us the courage, the creativity to see them and care for them intentionally the way you might have us do it? We love you, God. We want to be a place of safety and sanctuary. We want to be people quick to listen, slow to speak. We pray that that would be true, and we love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.